0: New, new, new black, new, new black Wall Street Book Club. Evan Jefferson, brother, much love. Educating, elevating, because in knowledge is the power and will never give it up. Literature is for the masses Where to put your money down a how to watch your assets Yeah, uplifting others is a passion My brother Evan, he will turn it into action New Black Wall Street Book Club You should come read with, with, us. Read with us Yeah, we comprehend and discuss yeah. if we all just come together There's no limit for the us, limit for us. Huh. Here comes your host New Black Wall Street Book Evan, Club. take it away Black Wall Street New Black Wall Street Book Club, <laughs> New Black Wall Street Book
1: Club. Welcome to the New Black Wall Street Book Club, where black folk do read. If you put it in a book, we absolutely will find it. I'm your host, ERGJ, your certified financial educator, CEO of ERGJ Enterprises, ERGJ Black Bazaar, and international best-selling author of the book, The Black Billionaire's Club. It's a study of black wealth. It's a study of the 12 richest black people in the world today and how they built their wealth. And I just believe that if you want to be wealthy, you should study. Wealthy people. We can find that book by going to the website www.theblackbillionairesclub.com. www.theblackbillionairesclub.com. You'll find that link in the description above or below. Go back. Well, guys, we're going to get right to this thing this morning. It's time for our daily motivation for African American success. That's right. Coming out of a book written by Mr. Dennis P. Kimbrough. Daily Motivations for African-American Success by Mr. Dennis P. Kimbrough. And uh, the title of today says this, It's a dirty job, but somebody has got to do it. Everybody put it down, so somebody got to do it. It's a dirty job, but somebody, somebody got to do it. See, here's what I say. Man, you know what I'm saying? Somebody, It, 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 it ain't easy to get rich, but somebody got to do it. Pippin' ain't easy, but somebody got to do it. Being a no limit soldier ain't easy, but somebody got to do it. And all I be saying is, why not let that somebody be me? Why not let that somebody be me? Matter of fact, I said to a lady earlier today, I said, you know what? It's Friday. People just got paid. They are. They can't wait to go spend their money this weekend. And I said, well, why don't you just make sure that you are that somebody? Everybody put it on So I am that somebody. Make sure you are that somebody. They're gonna spend their money anyway. We've been talking about not spending money. We've been talking about reducing our spending power for so long, I just don't think that's gonna change. But what I can say is that instead of trying to force people to do something that they don't wanna do, which is save money, what they don't wanna do, which is spend less than they earn, why don't we put ourselves in position to capture what they're gonna do anyway? See, I'm just telling you, I come up with a philosophy that says what people are gonna do anyway, let them do what they're gonna do anyway and just make sure I put myself in position to capitalize on what they're going to do anyway. No matter how silly it might be, no matter how how crazy it may sound. if they are going to keep going to go get the iPhone. They're gonna keep standing in line for Nikes. They're gonna keep doing what they love to do anyway. And so what I've said to myself is, you know, self, you know the easiest way to get rich? The easiest way to get rich is simply give people what they want. And you can tell what they want because they keep doing it anyway. I am that somebody. I am that somebody. Woo! Somebody's gotta do it. Here's our quote of the day, comes uh, from Lou Rawls. Y'all remember him, the singer. Lou Rawls, he says this, and I quote, Sooner or later, we've got to polish ourselves up. We've got to let the shine come through. Sooner or later, We've got to pause ourselves up. Now here's the question to you billionaires. Is it gonna be sooner or is it gonna be later for you? Is it gonna be sooner or is it gonna be later for you? Sooner or later, we've got to pause ourselves up. We've got to let the sign come through. I want you to understand billionaires that each and every one of you that are watching this right now, anybody be catching the replay, you got something special. There's some greatness on the inside of you that just can't wait to come out, and I'm and I'm even feeling it. Like I'm always feeling like, man, there's there's even something greater on it. I mean, I feel like I've been doing great, but I feel like there's still something greater. And I said, I reached out to a friend. I said, man, I want to go higher. I want to go higher. I want to go to a whole nother realm. I want to go to a whole nother planet. I want to go higher. And I believe that there's some people that are in my in my life that can help me go higher. You know what? I'm looking for those people. See, I'm not looking for the people that's going to bring me down. I'm looking for the people that's going to push me up. I want to go higher. Here's our passion today, man. Our motivation is going to get us going. Let's get it. It seems to me that we don't have to add anything to our lives. Instead, we need to take things away. We need to take away the junk. Imagine driving a car with a filthy windshield. The sun is beaming and you can't see a thing ahead of you. The particles of dirt obscure the sun's rays, causing you a real problem. All you have to do, though, is take the dirt off the windows by washing them. The glass is already clear, but the dirt has to be removed. The same is true of a diamond. All the brilliance, all the radiance, and the beauty of the diamond are released through the facet cut into the stone. Each facet expresses the total vibrancy and beauty of the diamond, and the diamond cannot withhold any of this from the facets. However, when the facets get dirty or dusty, the radiance of the diamond is hidden until the residue is removed. You might consider that we are facets of life, and life can withhold energy. It can withhold health. It can withhold love from us no more then the diamond can withhold any of its qualities from the facets, unless we cloud ourselves with fear, self-defeating attitudes, or doubt. Only when these negative qualities are absent, can the true nature of our being be exposed to the world. Let me go back up. He said, he said, instead we need to take things away. We need to take away the junk. He said, it seems to me that we don't have to add anything to our lives. All we need to do is take some things away. In the comments below, I want you to think about one thing. As we're moving to the end of the year, we're moving to the end of the decade. Don't think about what you might want to add at this point. Think about some of the stuff that you need to take away. Think about some of the junk you need to remove out of your life. Some of the junk people, some of the junk habits, some of the junk things that you need to remove so that your your light can shine bright. What's that one thing that you realize you can't take with you into the next decade? It can't come. it gotta be left in t- 2019. That's the last time we wanna see it. See, some of us, we're always trying to find or look for the next thing, the next big thing. And I was, to, I was talking to a sister earlier today. I said to her, I said, you know, what's very interesting about businesses to me, and I think it's a bad business model, is that they spend so much time trying to acquire a new customer and not enough time keeping their current customers happy i said many of these businesses if only if all they did was focus on the customers that they have served those that may not do business with them anymore give them a call and see why not so you can get better if you focus on who you already have who has been loyal to you and you take care of them you will stay in business now, it may, obviously, you want to add some to because you want to grow, but I'm just talking about keeping the doors open. I'm talking about thriving with your current your current capacity and helping to level them up. But too many of us spend so much time chasing the new. We don't take care of the old. Say so we don't need to add anything. Why? Because God has given us everything we need, so we don't need to add anything to our lives. But many of us realize there are some certain spaces in our world that we simply need to remove. We need to destroy. We need to release. We need to let go. Some of you guys are harboring on unforgiveness. You just, you just will not let it go. It happened 20 years ago. It still bothers you. For some reason, you won't let it go. And you don't realize that it's having an effect on you. You don't realize having an effect on the people that you communicate with, that you connect with. You don't realize how much damage has been done because you won't let it go. Now, it doesn't mean that it didn't hurt. It doesn't mean that didn't happen. But what it does mean is it's in the past. It's in the past. Why are you letting something that happened 20 years ago affect you today? Why are you letting something that happened 10 years ago, a decade ago, still keep you in chain? It's time to let it go. I'm telling you, do not take this stuff with you into the new decade. Whatever that is for you. Each and every individual has got something that they know, they recognize, they realize. I got to let this go. I got to get past this. I got to do what's best for me. I got to take responsibility regardless of whether I felt like I was I was uh, you know, uh, you know, I was hurt or I was the victim. I'm telling you, let go of the victim mentality. You see we go to church every every week and we'll say something like this in our holy prayer. God Grant me the forgiveness. You're going to say, forgive me or forgive my transgressions, and I forgive those who are transgressed against me. But yet, you're not forgiving those who are transgressed against you. But you want the Heavenly Father to forgive you. Oh, wait a minute. Did it say that in the Bible? God, right? Forgive me as I forgive those. Wow. You don't say. You mean to tell me there could be some connection in me not forgiving and then me not being forgiven. Wow. You don't know say. My goodness. Oh my. Jeez. What is it that you need to let go? What is it that you need to remove? What is it that you need to clean off so that your light can shine bright? Hasn't it been long enough? Hasn't it been long enough? Think about it. How long has it been? Hasn't it been long enough? See, one day is too long. One week, way too long. One month, oh my goodness. One year, Lord Jesus. A whole decade, my goodness. How long has it been? When will you decide that enough is enough? And you're going to let it go so you can move forward in your destiny. Here's our affirmation of the day. Here's what you're allowed to take root into your heart, your subconscious. Then you can grow and develop this thing by repeating it over and over and over again until it brings forth a harvest into your life. Repeat after me. I believe this affirmation is going to help a lot of people this morning. Repeat after me. I will allow my, I will allow my vibrancy to show by removing the junk and dirt, negative habits and negative thinking in my life. Woo. Oh, it's gonna take some courage to say this one. Let's do it again, man. Let's repeat this again. Affirmation of the day. Repeat after me, I will allow, that's a big word, allow, that's a pretty big word. I will allow my vibrancy to show by removing the junk and the dirt, negative habits and negative thinking in my life. Yeah, this gonna take a little bit of courage to say this one, all right? We, wasn't, we didn't wake up, no, we gonna get this affirmation today that I got to do something, that I got of. I have to allow my light to shine bright by removing some stuff that I, that I hold near and dear to my heart that I, I, I just want to, I just want to still feel this for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it again. Third time to turn. Our affirmation of the day, we're going to say it this time for the people in the back the people in the way back. We want the world to know that we mean business. We want them to know that we're serious about success. We're serious about living our best life. We're not just having something coming out of our mouth with no action behind it. No, We're we're going to develop ourselves. We're going to take personal responsibility for our life. As for me and my house, this time say it with some conviction. Repeat after me. I will allow my vibrancy to show by removing the junk and the dirt, negative habits and negative thinking in my life. It's a dirty job, people. But somebody's got to do it. Daily Motivations for African-American Success by Mr. Dennis P. Kimbrough. Daily Motivations for African-American Success by Mr. Dennis P. Kimbro. Are you that somebody? Are you that somebody? who will do the dirty work in your life. A quick word from our sponsor. Don't just buy black, decorate black. ERGJ Black Bazaar is the Afrocentric marketplace we specialize in urban home decor. Anything from shower sets to wall tapestries to debate cover sets. You can decorate your entire home with original black art inspired gifts. Check us out at www.ergjblackbazaar.com. www.ergjblackbazaar.com. ERGJ Black Bazaar, the Afrocentric Marketplace. We make group economics easy. The New Black Wall Street Book Club presents Black Fortunes, the story of the first six African-Americans who escaped slavery and became millionaires by Shamari Wills. Let's read. Well, my beautiful people. We gotta get right into this thing. Cause we have been delayed. It's been about a week and a half, maybe two. Here's the thing. I figured out when I could do it, all right? So Black Fortunes, we're getting right back into um, our uh, our book club. We're reading the book, Black Fortunes. Uh, the uh, the story of the first six African-Americans to escape slavery and become millionaires. And so what I'm going to do is I, I, I think Friday is going to be a good day. Friday is going to be the day that I pick this thing back up. We go through the next chapter. I might do two days a week, something like that. I'm not quite sure. But we're going to kick this thing off because we got to finish this book. OK, we just we don't start something and then don't finish it. No, we start it. We to finish it. Let's keep going today. Black Fortunes. The story. Are the first six African-Americans to escape slavery and become millionaires. Now, I believe that this book is so profound because even today, in 2019, there are still African-Americans in slavery. There's still. Now, it may not be physical slavery, but all right, we definitely know a lot of African-Americans who are in financial slavery. They're in debt, financial slavery. We also know that there are some African-Americans who are in, uh, in emotional slavery. They're not in control of their emotions, their emotions are, are in control of them. They are slaves to their emotions. We know that there are some African Americans who are slaves to psychological, right? They're psychological slaves. They're captured, they are enslaved by their thoughts. They're not in control of their thoughts. Their thoughts are in control of them. Their thoughts are their master. And so we're really talking about self-control. Everybody put that in the comments of self-control in 2019 the control of self the 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 conquering of self is the biggest hurdle it's the biggest challenge it's not racism it's not the government it's not trump it's not white supremacy the biggest thing for you and i to conquer is self you fight the wrong battles the biggest thing for you and i to conquer itself would anybody like to debate me on this by the way i would really like for somebody say no i ain't got to conquer self but i can try to conquer everything else and you realize wait a second if i don't conquer me first i can't really conquer nothing else you're fighting the wrong battle you're putting all your energy into things that you can't control and no energy into that which you can control which is yourself which is your attitude which is your character, which is your development of your discipline. You're putting all your energy in the stuff you can't control. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change the things I can. Self and wisdom to know the difference. See beautiful people, we simply have not asked for wisdom to know the difference. Between that which I can control and that which I can't control, and because we haven't asked for wisdom, because we don't operate and apply the knowledge that we know, we keep fighting the wrong battles. Self-control, self-discipline, self-esteem, self-interest, black fortune. The story of the first six African-Americans to escape slavery and become millionaires. Chapter nine, saint or sinner. Now, I don't know where this one thing gonna go, but let's get it. So we're back in 1885. (laughs) Whew, Lord, 1885. That's what, 140 years ago, 60 years ago? Late in the afternoon on July 29th of 1885, a hot day, Robert Reed Church was at work behind the bar in his pool hall when he smelled smoke. He was now 46 years old and wore a boiler, boiler hat to cover the wounds on his head he had sustained in the attack of his shop during the Memphis race riots almost 20 years before. He went outside and saw that the lumber factory up the street was on fire and that the flames were moving in his direction. He didn't panic. Everybody put a Console, don't panic. Between the ship fire on the bulletin number two he had survived as a teenager and being burned out during the race rise in his first days as a free man, he had lost his fear of fire. He yelled out for three of his employees and sent them to the roof with buckets of water and fire hoses. He then rallied the rest of his staff and customers and ordered them to start carrying the pool tables and furniture outside into the street. By the time the fire had engulfed the entire block and a panic ensued, Men and women evacuated their homes, dragging their possessions into the street. Shopkeepers emptied their stores, trying to move as much merchandise as they could outside. As Church had his place cleaned out, the sky turned black with smoke as the flames burned down the telephone poles on the sides of the road, snapping their wires. When the flames reached Church's billiard hall, a strong gust of wind weakened the fire. A few minutes later, firefighters arrived to pull out the blaze. His billiard hall sustained no damage other than a scorched floor and Burn curtains. The rest of the block wasn't so fortunate. The fire burned out dozens of homes and businesses, causing $125,000 or $3.3 million in today's term, of damage. Wow. Can y'all imagine having a business and like this fire is coming to steal, kill, and destroy. And you they can't panic. You gotta figure something out. It's almost remind me when Jesus was in that boat and the boat was rocking and everybody was like, oh my Lord, we're gonna die. And Jesus was like, he was asleep in the boat and everybody else was like, oh no, what's going on? It came to Jesus, it came to him I said, Master, don't you see what's going on? I mean, don't you feel what's going on? And he was over there sleeping like a baby. So he had no worry, he had no fear, even a fire, even of a thunderstorm, even of a tornado, even of lightning, whatever. And then guess what he said? He got up. He said, peace be still. Everybody put it so peace be still. Peace be still. This was a brother who had tapped into the God force. This is a brother that when he spoke, shit happened. How about you? Have you tapped into this force, this 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 space, this this eternal power that when you speak is happens. Matter of fact, I was thinking I'm doing my new show. I'm bringing it back on uh, on Saturday, and so I reached out to a couple of brothers. You know they said? They said, "Man, all you got to do is ask, man. As soon as you as soon as you ask, I'm there." And I was like, "Wow, I built the type of." relationships and authority and, and I don't know I've created this position where people show up. Why? Because I don't jerk people around. I'm not the guy that tells you we're gonna do something we don't do it. They know when I say we're gonna do it, we're doing it. With or without you. Right? But there's so many people who don't even who don't honor their word that when they really, really need something, people will be like, please. Right? Because they never honor their word. They never show up. They're always talking about what they're going to do, but they don't do it. And then when they really, really, really need people, those people be like, no, nah, you don't, you done cry wolf way too many times. We ain't falling for it this time. You done shown us who you are so we believe. You. See, a lot of this, a lot of our issues have to do with how we treat other people. And we take these small things for granted. you supposed to meet me yesterday. You didn't. Supposed to meet me today? You didn't. You think I'm gonna make time to meet you tomorrow? Hell no. And then you want to get mad and upset. No, you wasn't mad or upset that you missed these other two appointments. Why would I make time for you for a third one? No, I'm not. Mama didn't raise no fool. I was raised at night. I was born at night, but I wasn't born last night. But you never look at yourself and how you keep not showing up. How it's, a, it's a perpetual habit for you to say you're gonna do something and not do it. And if I call you a liar, you'll say I'm mad. I'm, 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 you get mad. If I tell you that you're disingenuous, you'll get upset. But that's what your actions show. Beary I don't allow my vibrancy to show by removing the junk and dirt and negative thoughts and negative thinking out of my life. Self-control, self-control, what's going on Mr. Maurice? Addie Scott, what's going on? Good morning to you, grand rising to you. Don't panic, don't panic, don't panic. Peace, be still. Just as he had had during the yellow fever outbreak, church used the disaster as an opportunity. Church used the disaster as an opportunity. Everybody put it on, so turn disaster into opportunity. See, one man's junk is another man's treasure. One man's disaster is another man's opportunity. We see it all the time. We see it in the crash of the markets, right? The crash of the stock market created opportunity for others and on the rise of the stock market created more millionaires in that time frame than ever before. We see it in the in real estate, the crash of the market. is a disaster to too many people who got in high. It's an opportunity for people who wanna get in low. And guess what? Those people get in low, they become millionaires on the rise. So we see this all the time, that a disaster to some can be an opportunity for others. Wow. He swooped in about dozens of burned out homes. Adding to his re- existing real estate holdings, he owned nearly half of downtown Memphis after the fire. He fixed the fire damage, renovated the properties and rented them out. He spared no expense with his remodeling. He reappointed the wood frame homes and rooming houses with turrets and cupolas and let them let, let them to African Americans at affordable rents in doing so he offered them an alternative to the slum-like conditions and high risk demanded by white landlords in the area. church was a charitable landlord often letting black tenants who fell on hard times go months without paying rents you do you guys hear Mr Robert Reed church we're gonna keep reading but we won't go we're gonna put some respect on your name right now. Mr. Robert Reed Church. Everybody put that in the comments below. Robert Reed Church. Mr. Robert Reed Church, here today on the New Black Wall Street Book Club, as we're reading the Black Forces, the story of the first six African-Americans who escaped slavery and became millionaires, we put some respect on your name. And if you could do this back in 1885, surely we could do it in 2019. If you could do this, See opportunity within disaster. Go up and buy the whole damn block and then help your brothers and your sisters out. If you could do that back in 1885, surely we can do that in 2019. It's much easier now. We got more access. You paid the dues. And all we got to do is follow in your footsteps. He was less public-spirited with his commercial holdings. Having control of a plurality plurality of the commercial real estate in Memphis, he could set his own prices. He he charged exorbitant rents in his commercial buildings and let them out to whoever could pay them. Many of his new tenants were gambling houses, saloons, concert halls, and brothels. The black enclave on Beale Street was transformed into a red light district. Some would denigrate Robert for bringing bordellas to call him a pimp. Whenever those, such accusations were brought to him, he replied, whatever my tenants do in their property is their business. His billiard hall sat in the middle of a growing vice district. Church capitalized on the new traffic his tenants brought with their dives and strip shows and brothels. The pool hall began to function as a casino, pawn shop, and money lender. Inside, high stakes card, dice, and billiard games took place in the parlor. From behind the bar, Church made high-interest loans and brought clothing, diamonds, and other jewelry for pennies on the dollar, handling backwards of cat back wads of cash neatly rolled and bound to those he made transactions with. Church had between $50,000 and $100,000 in cash and income of $50,000 a year for rent, from rents and his pool hall with a net worth of nearly $300,000 in those times, which would now be worth about $8 million in today's time. And growing rapidly, he was one of the richest black men in the United States. And as he was expanding his empire, his marriage to Lou, his marriage to Lou was falling apart. Oh Lord, I did not want to hear that. (laughs) Wow, okay. Years earlier, he had suffered a second gunshot wound to the head and hadn't been the same since. In 1878, while in Arkansas, he had gotten into a fight with a white police officer who had accosted a female associate of his. During the fight, the officer had pulled his gun and shot him. He had survived, but had begun using morphine to cope with the pain. The drugs turned his eyes red and worsened his already violent temper. In 1881, he lost his friend and kindred spirit from the slave days, Blanche K. Bruce. Bruce's death was followed by the passing of his little brother, James Wilson. Wilson and Church, had been reunited after the Civil War, trading stories, perhaps over whiskey, of how it sickened them that they had been forced to work for the Confederacy. It was the most humiliating experience of my life," Wilson told Church, barely able to contain his anger. Wilson passed without a wife or children. Church buried him in an empty plot of land he owned in Memphis. With his father, brother, and Senator Bruce now dead, Church ties to his time in enslavement had failed his marriage to Lou, a former slave, crumbled. Church became angrier, more morphine dependent, uh, and sank deeper into the world of vice he was building on Beach Street. Oh man, this is not going well. This is not going well. Okay, <laughs> so Robert Reed Church is you know is a wealthy, successful brother, but we see what we see what happens. We see, sometimes we see the cost. Death is happening all around him. He's, he's he, I guess he's fighting a good fight, getting gunshot wounds. Going he going crazy. He's dependent on morphine. Oh man, this is this 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 is going in the wrong direction. Let's keep going. In 1884, he divorced Lou and began courting Anna Wright, a well-known black Memphis educator. Wright carried herself with an aristocratic air and dressed in the latest fashions. Like many African-Americans in the years of emancipation, she was ashamed of her roots in slavery and claimed that her family had never been a slave, but rather had been willing service of white patrons. She encouraged Robert to whitewash his past. Oh, Lord. Whoo, the wrong woman here. Okay. She encouraged Robert to whitewash his past as well and wouldn't stand any reference to his enslavement. Wright was 29, just a few years older than his daughter Mary Church. Oh, he done went and married a young chick. Oh, Lord. Boy, he done went crazy. He done went easy. See, this is why we bring him back He Say, She Say So on Saturday, by the way. She, he, he, Wright was 29, just a few years older than his daughter Mary Church. She had fair skin, curly hair, and angular features and proudly claimed to be as much Indian as she was Negro. They were married at Anna's home in New Year's Day of 1885. The newlyweds honeymoon in New Orleans, where they were hosted by PBS Pinchbank, the, the black former governor of Louisiana. After returning from their honeymoon, the new couple built a mansion on a two acre lot that Robert had purchased during the yellow fever epidemic. The mansion was in the Queen Anne, was in the Queen Anne style with 14 rooms decorated with crystal chandeliers and Frisco walls. In the main parlor hung a picture of the sinking bulletin number two that church had commissioned. In the back of the estate were tour stables and servants' quarters. Church's home was built on an undeveloped stretch of Memphis outside the city center. He hoped the construction of his new home would spur other African-Americans to build homes nearby and develop a wealthy black enclave. To his chagrin, it was wealthy white families that began to build houses around him. Nonetheless, the church mansion, the home of the richest black man in the South, became a meeting place for America's black elite. Pitchbank and other black dignitaries stayed at the church residence whenever they passed through Memphis. The grandeur of Church's house and the prominence of his visitors aroused the curiosity of his white neighbors. They would often think of some excuse to try to see the interior of the house. They would ring the doorbell and tell Miss Church they had just come to see the new home. She dealt with such requests by refusing to show the white neighbors the house herself, instead dispatching the servant to the door and leaving the room. In the house, Miss Church wore long silk blue gowns, which trailed behind her as she whisked out of the room. Ace, can somebody do a little research and see if this mansion is still around? Because I definitely would love to take a BBC trip to go, go to Memphis, Tennessee and go check out Beale Street and also go check out the old church mansion. It might be a little historical thing that we could do at this point in time. Oh, that would be lovely. How many guys, how many BBC members will be down for that? Oh, Lord, yes. Now, Vivian, you're talking about no morphine dependency. Now, you probably could talk to us about this, not that you're on morphine, but you know, I know that you are all about health and, and uh, the alternative way of living. So I definitely, if you could do, I know you do your uh, your your uh, podcast on healthy living. Man, I think the next your next podcast should be about morphine dependence. Right, and maybe some alternatives or something like that. I think that would be dope. I would really love to hear that on the Healthy Living Podcast by Miss Vivian Reed. Let me know if you can do that. I can't I can't wait to hear about that. Good morning to you, Mr. Antoine. Mr. Antoine Lowry. Good morning to you. Miss Jennifer Almanag. Good morning, Queen. How you doing? Right? Let me know if you're gonna be able to do that, Miss Vivian Reed. So, Mr. Robert Reed Church. You know what I'm saying? He going crazy now. How many guys got some? Uh, this is what happened? I'll tell you. This is what happened to me. Uh, my grandfather, right? As he got older, he ended up. Uh, let me tell you what happened to my. Let me tell you what happened to my family. Uh, my grandfather, he got as he got older, he became dependent on whatever drugs they were giving him. My grandfather was the chief of police in uh, in, in Chicago, and uh, and and he had someone to come and care for him. His caregiver. Let me tell you what this chick did. The caregiver, right who was taking care of my grandfather in in Chicago who was dependent on drugs, she ended up marrying my grandfather right about a week before he passed away. And after she married him, guess what she did? She stole our inheritance. Because she was the wife, she ended up taking everything that my grandfather had built and was going to pass down to his children's children, which would have been me. I never, now I'm just now thinking about this as I'm talking to y'all about how I remember she came in, she kind of whooped in there and then she married him and then a week later he had passed away. Now I don't know whether she killed him, whether she took the damn drugs away or whatever, he passed away. But then I saw there was a big fight between my mother and this lady who had kind of just came in and married him a week before and that annulled, listen to this, that annulled the, uh, the, the the wheel, he had left the wheel, but it was null and void because of the marriage to the woman. And the woman came, she was his caregiver, ended up marrying him. Clearly he wasn't in no position to say that I'm gonna marry somebody, he on drugs. And she stole the Jefferson legacy. She stole the Jefferson inheritance. So some of the things that you might hear, I did not realize this is what's in me. This is what drives me so much to make sure that I lead, that I build, right? I build wealth, right? I protect that wealth, because they're coming to steal, kill, and destroy, and I transfer that wealth to my children's children. Now, I don't know. Has anybody else got a story like that? Like, that's just not coming to me, because I'm seeing this brother here on morphine that got rid of his wife to go marry the young chick, and the young chick is stuck on stupid. She probably fine as wine though, but she's stuck on stupid. Okay, this is what happens. This is some of the stuff that happens in our community. All right, here uh, I've been on morphine before, and I can't. Okay, I can't wait to see that. Uh, Av knows this is the same movie, Bill Street, based on yes. It's the same. I think it's the same movie. I think there were two movies on Bill Street, from what I understand. I think Jennifer will be able to tell us a little bit more about that. But I want to see this movie right and i think it's talking about Robert reed church but somebody let me know okay and we're gonna see this matter of fact how we gonna is there a way that we're gonna be able to get in the club the group and like do a, a live stream and watch the movie together no matter where we are you know i'll be trying to think about all that stuff i know we all over the place we we in georgia we in ohio we we in south carolina we in new york i get it right is there a way that we can have a little kumbaya moment watching the movie together hey so how, let's try to figure that out that's how a movie, a movie watch, or something like that. I don't know. So yeah, somebody let me know. Is, it, is this the Bill Street, the movie that's based on Bill Street? Is, is it in Memphis? And is it talking about Robert Reed Church? I believe Jennifer probably has the answer because she was talking to me about that at one point in time. Let's keep going. Woo! Robert was much more con, 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 convive. Robert was much more convivial host than his wife. When he had company, he took he took to the kitchen to make his specialty boiled pompana, a fish from the Louisa Gulf he had eaten often on the river as a boy. He loved to cook for guests. Inside the house, which his wife had carefully outfitted with fine furniture, rugs hung bunches of bananas from chandeliers, banisters, and cabinets, so one was always within his reach if he and his guests got hungry. In the backyard, he kept crates of live turkeys and chickens whose crowing could be heard from the house. He ordered flour, oil, nuts, and fruits in bulk, as Robert Reed Church gambles and real estate and politics had borne fruit, making him the richest and most powerful man in Tennessee, a young Memphis-based journalist named Ida B. Wells published a thinly veiled critique of him in the New York in the New York Freedmen in December of 1885. Yeah, a watch party, Mrs. A.V. a watch party. Uh, she wondered if the richest black man in the South had sold his soul for riches. All of us cannot be millionaires, she wrote. What material benefit is a leader if he does not, to some extent, devote his time, talent, and wealth to the alleviation of the poverty and misery and elevation of his own people? Church went from slave to gun-toting black maverick to wealthy and connected real estate magnate. The question was now that he, had finally, he finally had power, would he use it for the betterment of his people? Wells was determined to push him in the right direction. Church knew of Ida B. Wells. She attended a local Baptist church and socialized in the same circles as his daughter Mary. She had begun collecting her press clippings after she had sued to desegregate the lady's car on the Chesapeake and Ohio Rail Race train in Tennessee and become a minor hero among local blacks. He read her article, which criticized black leaders and put a blue X next to it with a pen. As was his habit with articles, he found interesting. Oh, Lord. It's getting—it's about to get pretty juicy, it seems like. So Robert Reed Church, he went from slave to millionaire. And now this young buck, this this, ma- this maverick in her own right, Miss Ida B. Wells. Make sure you write, put that down. Miss Ida B. Wells. We're going to put some respect on Ida B. Wells now. Because now you got the youth who are coming in to challenge the old and that's how it should be. That's right, that's how it should be. The youth who are full with uh, with, with curiosity, who are filled with um, intuition, who are filled with ideas, they are supposed to come in the village at, at a certain time of age and maturation and challenge the elders. What are your motives? What are you doing to make a difference? Yeah, you got money, but is that all? Is money all you got? I mean, because if money is all you got, you ain't got much. Dang, Pretty Steve. Why you had to go drop that ball? Okay, Pretty Steve said, brother, oh my goodness. Thanks so much for looking up. He said here, he said, the robbery church mansion was unfortunately burned down mysteriously in 1953 by the Memphis firefighters due to what it symbolized racial equality and economic independence. Oh man, damn. <laughs> We can't win for losing, bro. Okay, all right, that's cool. Well, we can still go to Bill Street. Is Bill Street turn around, or did they change the name of that too? Is it now Tyler Perry Street? Who knows? <laughs> we gotta do some research, people. That what that mean? We got to research our own history and figure out our own stuff, so we can we can still celebrate our heroes. A quick word from our sponsor. All right. Black Forge, uh, Chapter 9, Sake or Sinner, Part 2. And we ain't going to, it don't look like we're going to finish this. Part 2. I'm going to go ahead and push through. We're going to go ahead and finish this. Part 2. In the summer of 1886. Now, Wells left Memphis to take a teaching job in Visalia, California. She immediately regretted the decision but had no money to get back. She wrote to Robert Reed Church to ask for a loan. I wrote a letter to Mr. C asking the loan for $100. She wrote in her diary. I told him that I wrote him because he was the only man of my race who could lend me that much money and wait for me to repay it. A month later, she received an envelope from Memphis with a check inside from RR Church Wells bought bought a ticket to Memphis and left Vassalie within the week. He was a generous, okay. When she arrived, let me hey, let me tell you something. You know, let me just show you what did Ida B. Wells just do? Number one, she thought of the person who could help her. The, but the biggest thing that Ida B. Wells did, she asked for help. Now, sisters and brothers too, but I don't want to talk to the sisters because this is Ida B. Wells. She found a man of means. Someone who could actually help her. And guess what she did? She asked for help. And then guess what happened? She received that what she asked for. Ask and you shall receive. Now she didn't belittle the man. She didn't try to guilt trip him into something. She didn't say, I'll give you some cookies if you send me some money. She just simply said, man, I wanna come back to Memphis you are the only, one of the only few men that look like me who got the kind of money that you ain't gonna miss it can you send me a hundred dollars she had already made an impression on the brother and he was like okay he had x would her name and said you this is interesting and guess what happened she received it okay i don't know i'm gonna drop that right there for you ladies and i don't know who gonna pick that up and run with it but I want you to take that torch from Ida B. Wells and take it into the next decade, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so when she arrived in Memphis, she sought out church. She when she found him, she thanked him and promised to repay the loan. Now I'll tell you this. I got quite a few people that unhelped. And I can't think of now one of these sisters who has thanked me and promised to repay me they typically know how to disappear. Act like they didn't get no help. And then they start telling everybody else how nobody helps them. I can think of a couple of sisters who ain't thanked me and they damn sure ain't promised to repay me for my help. All right, let me just leave that right there too. Okay, let me drop that mic. No, he told her, glaring back at her with bloodshot eyes. She didn't protest church wasn't the type of man to quarrel with my gratitude for his kindly act and his trust in a girl he only knew by reputation warms my heart she remembered as she returned to memphis wells took a job writing for the weekly baptist church's loan did not dissuade her from challenging him in print she chastised african americans for patronizing the institutions of bill street and spending their money on tobacco and liquor nonetheless she occasionally let her admiration for church slip though in a scathing critique of black politicians, she once wrote, "One wealthy man is worth more than one thousand politicians." Wow, one wealthy man is worth more than a thousand politicians. After the church, made her the loan, Ida remained in touch with him and became friendly with his daughter Mary. However, though Robert would continue to support Ida financially. He deemed her too controversial for his daughter to associate with openly and advised Mary to keep her distance. In 1888, Ida began writing for the Memphis Free Speech, an African-American paper with a larger circulation. She focused her writings on the, for the paper on the lynchings of black men in the South, which were growing into an epidemic. Her writings were controversial. Her writings were controversial. In them, she encouraged black men to take up arms against lynchers. Lynchers and posited that white women who accused black men of rape were doing so to cover up their willing tryst with them. Her writings became so controversial that the paper's owner, Reverend Taylor Nightingale, was run out of town, and Ida ended up taking over the paper. As Church tried to keep Mary, whom he financed, whom he fancied as a Southern belle, away from Ida, his personal respect for her grew. In her, he saw a fearlessness that mirrored his own, she reminded him of the edicts laid down by his father, Captain Church. If they strike you, strike them back. Never be a coward. Everybody put in the comments on, I am not a coward. If they strike you, strike them back. Never. And I mean never. Be a coward. influenced by Wells church began to transform Bill Street in 1880. In 1889 he built an eponymous hotel that took up an entire city block. The church hotel had large rooms, a parlor with chandeliers, Persian carpets, and an oyster bar. After the completion of the establishment, he continued to rent to bordellos, strip joints, and bars, but he also recruited black lawyers, black dentists, black doctors, and black publishers to Bill Street. His efforts civilized Bill Street during the day when it was full of black businesses and professionals after they shuttered their shops for, for the day and the sun went down, Bill returned to being a red light district. So now we're talking about in Memphis, Tennessee, for those of us who don't know, that was a black Wall Street. So although we only talk about Tulsa, there were more than one black Wall Street and we are talking about one now in Memphis, Tennessee. And it was called bill street and so i believe i well, i gotta see the movie i mean now i am compelled to see the movie and i hope it depicts a great depiction of the real stuff that went on and it ain't whitewashed i kind of got it i mean people said that harriet Tubman was whitewashed i don't know i ain't seen that either i'd be interested to see it i ain't seen it yet all right uh so it's definitely not me but thank you for all that you do for us evan jefferson i'm not a coward i'm not a coward never be a coward so he was bringing in black businesses. Say, hey, man, come do business over here. Come set up shop over here. We can run this thing. I own the whole block. Right? But then he was also saying, I'm going to get this money. Because I know that y'all, when y'all stop doing business, y'all still want the hookers. Y'all still want some sex. Y'all still want alcohol. Y'all still want tobacco. And I'm going to give you what you want. Now, some of us may say that's bad. But at the end of the day, if people don't stop spending their money how they want to spend their money. If y'all want hoes, I'm going to give you hoes. If y'all want alcohol, I'm gonna give you alcohol. And this is the same thing that every other community does to our community. They say, y'all want Waffle House? We are gonna give you Waffle House. Y'all want fast food? We are gonna give you fast food. Y'all want a church on every block? We are gonna give you a church on every block. Y'all want alcohol? We gonna give you alcohol. Y'all want prostitutes? We are gonna give you prostitutes. Y'all want strip joints? We are gonna give you strip joints. Now, I want you to notice this. Let me go to the strip joints for a second. In the predominantly white, High city areas, they don't even allow strip joints to be open. I'm in Atlanta, Georgia. There's a place called Gwinnett County. Gwinnett County is where all the Asians and the white folk live. They won't allow a strip joint. Matter of fact, it took years for them to allow public transportation, which is now called the GCT or something like that. They are on a whole nother level when it comes to what they allow in their community. We, on the other hand, give us what you got. I want y'all to start noticing the difference between other communities and our community. What they allow and what we allow. How they live and how we live. As I said, man, uh, 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 there's, a, there's a strip called Memorial Drive. And Memorial Drive is kind of a dividing line. I'm in Atlanta, Georgia. Memorial Drive, and if anybody ever come down to Atlanta, I want to show y'all this. It's a, I might do a video on it. It's Memorial Drive. On the right side of Memorial Drive is Avondale Estates, which is um which is white wealth. On the left side of Memorial Drive is the ghetto. It's black poverty. And it's it's literally a line. So on this side of the street, when you look at the businesses, they're all run down, they're all old. They're all you know, bad hotels, you know what I'm saying? Budget in. shit like that. You ain't never go, you ain't never go. But on this side, I'm telling you, it's one street. On this side, brand new Walmart. On this side, brand new Aldi. On this side, brand new Burger King. Then all the other little businesses that don't belong, they starting to close down, right? That's right. They got a new name for it. they call it the massage parlor. That's right? They got some massage parlors now. They got some sucky sucky and some licky licky. <laughs> Going up there is that uh, what they call it? The the the, the, the Deju Swana, De, what is it what is called the Deju Dejuar? De- it's some it's some it's some spa up there. The Deju-, Deju if people know what I'm talking about, y'all know what I'm talking about. It's the it's, the, it's the most popular spa in uh, Gwinnett County. Jeju, Jeju. Now they don't really, I don't know if they do nothing crazy at Jeju, but it so seen like a whole bunch of naked people walking around. <laughs> 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 Woo! But well, you know, the, what goes on in Jeju stays in Jeju. Okay, how about that? See anyway. Woo! <laughs> Where was I at? Okay, how about we got? Oh Lord 858, Lord Jesus. Okay, we got two more chapters. We can do this. We can do this. We can do this, people. Alright, uh Black Fortress, chapter 9, Saint or Center. Uh, I'm sorry, Black Fortress, Chapter 9, Saint or Sinner, part. Three, all right. Part three. In 1890, Church hosted Frederick Douglass. The civil rights activist had first become acquainted with the churches through Mary, who had met Douglass when she was att- she had attended the 1880 presidential inauguration in Washington D.C. as a guest of her father's late friend, Senator Blanche K. Bruce. As Church and his family prepared for Douglass to arrive, Anna Church gave strict instructions to their children, Annette Church and Robert Reed Church Jr. on how to comport themselves. Annette was afraid of elderly people, and Douglas was 70 years old. This Church gave her strict instructions not to touch him or comment on his looks. When Douglas arrived, she defied her parents by staring at his hair, which was white and long and hung down over his ears, and ogling his suit, which had long tails that went almost to the floor. As he came through the door, little Annette ran toward him and kissed him, kissed him, then turned to her mother, exclaiming, He's got such big eyes, mama. Douglas gave a hearty laugh. Coincidentally, while Douglas was in Memphis, he became acquainted with Ida B. Wells. After he left, they became a correspondent and collaborator on civil rights protests, including a boycott of the 1895 Chicago World's Fair for excluding black exhibits. Ironically, the churches defied the boycott and were were one of the only high-pro black families to attend the fair. Okay. Robert Reed Church, do what he like. All right. He does what he likes. That was actually chapter three or part three. Black Fortunes. The story of the first six African-Americans to escape slavery and become millionaires. Chapter nine, saint or sinner. Part four. As Wells published article after article about Southern lynching, she influenced church who at times appeared distant from the struggle for racial equality. It was perhaps a surprise when in the late 1880s he joined the Tennessee Rifles. A volunteer militia of black men formed to fight potential lynch mobs. In 1892, an African-American man opened a grocery store in Memphis called the People's Grocery. The store was located just outside Memphis in a two-story brick storehouse and sold crates of fresh vegetables and poultry. One of its owners, Thomas Moss, purchased a horse and cart, which he kept out front to make deliveries. Moss's grocery cut into the business of the white grocer named William Barrett, who owned a store a few blocks away. Barrett began harassing Moss and trying to cause trouble at his store, resulting in several violent skirmishes between the two men and their employees. Late in March, Six white men entered the people's grocery carrying guns. Moss's men defended themselves, shooting and wounding three of their attackers. After Moss and the two of his employees, Will Stewart and Calvin McDowell, were arrested and put into the Memphis City Jail. After they were arrested, Robert Church and the rest of the Tennessee Rifles kept watch over the jail to protect the men from being lynched. A few days later, the Rifles were given assurances that Moss and his men would not be charged and the police would protect them from lynching. Taking the authorities at their word, Church and the rest of the rifles left at 2 a.m. They left. At 2 a.m., a lynch mob arrived at the jail. They entered and took Moss and his two men from their cell. The lynch mob had given the white papers notice of the lynching, and journalists met them at the rail yard where the execution was to be staged. At the rail yard, McDowell fought back against his lynchers. In retaliation, they shot and mutilated him before he was killed by multiple gunshots to the face. Will Stewart was next to die. He was stoic and strong and refused to show the lynchers any fear. The papers described him as an obdurate and unyielding to the last. He was shot on the right side of the neck with a shotgun and a pistol in the neck and left eye, and then he fell dead. Moss was the last to die. He begged for his life. When it was clear he would receive no mercy, he gave a final statement to the reporters present. Tell my people to go west. There's no justice for them here, he said. His killers then shot him dead. The lynching shook shockwaves through the African-American community. Church, who had believed that the law would protect the men after he left them, privately began to doubt the viability of the region as a home for African-Americans. After the lynching, more than 100 Blacks formed a group to leave Tennessee and relocate to Oklahoma. He would never leave. I'm sorry, church donated $10,000 or $270,000 a day's terms to the group. He would never leave. He'd been shackled, shot, and burned out. But for better or worse, Memphis was his home. So you mean to tell me that the brothers and sisters? From Bill Street or Black Wall Street in Memphis, Tennessee, they're the ones who traveled west to Oklahoma to start or to create what we now know as Black Wall Street. Because this was back in 1888, 1890. So I think that that might be where we're going in this book. I don't know. So, at any rate, man, what? Who is at my door now? I don't know who that is. So, at any rate. This is the end of uh, chapter of uh, part four and all I can say is wow I can't wait to keep going to chapter part 10 or part or chapter 10 we're gonna we'll be talking about building the promised land in Oklahoma which I believe is going to be talking about building Black Wall Street in Oklahoma. Now what are you guys thoughts on what we have what we have gone through today as we are reading through Black fortunes the story of the first six African Americans to escape slavery and become millionaires. This is the New Black Wall Street Book Club, where black folk do read. If you put in a book, we absolutely will find it. I'm your host, ERGJ, your certified financial educator, and we invite you to join the Black Billionaires Club. Get connected with brothers and sisters who are serious about winning with money, serious about success, and super serious about helping you to accomplish your goals and to build your dreams. Check out the website at www.TheBlackBillionSClub.com www.TheBlackBillionSClub.com You can find that link in the description above or below. Make a decision to change the rest of your life. We'd ask that you would subscribe and support this podcast with a small monthly donation to help us sustain future episodes, to improve financial literacy within our community, and ultimately to help us to build the School of Wealth. To build an institution that will teach the next generation about money, and your small monthly contribution can make all the difference. Well, well, we want to say thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the New Black Wall Street Book Club. We want you to remember this, that it takes a village, and it starts with us. Let's build as we climb together. We all we got, people, and thank God that that's more than enough. Until next episode, you know what time it is. Mr. DJ, hit the music.
0: New, new, new black, new, it's the New Black Wall Street Book Club. Wall Street. <laughs> With your host, Evan Jefferson. Evan Jefferson. It's time for us to go. Yeah. Now, you mm-hmm. ain't got a little computer, but we encourage you to get out there go on, go on. and learn on, and apply all the things you learn at the New Black Wall Street. Book Club, Book Club <laughs> Yeah New Black Wall Street